St. Patrick's Day, much like Halloween and Valentine's Day, is one of those holidays which, despite its religious origins, has become secular and encourages its revelers to have fun. On this day, celebrated annually on March 17th, people often dress in green-colored clothing, wear fake red beards and floppy leprechaun hats, and go to the pub with friends or family to eat, drink, and be merry. In short, it has become a celebration of all things Irish, which to an extent is true to the spirit of the original. But the holiday we know is still a far cry from the actual historic date, which, tradition dictates, actually commemorates the death of its namesake. Though never officially canonized as a saint because he lived prior to the establishment of the current laws of the Catholic Church, St. Patrick is nonetheless venerated as a saint in several Christian sects and denominations. Just who was this man? What did he do before being elevated to saintly status? And how did he become the preeminent symbol of Ireland? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Many stories have been told about St. Patrick throughout the centuries, most of which have been the result of folklore and exaggeration. As such, it's hard to know where the line between truth and fiction lies. That being said, what is known of his life has come down to us in the form of his own writings, which read like a veritable list of his accomplishments, as well as a biblical epic in their own right. But before we get to that, let's start by separating the wheat from the chaff, or in this case, fact from fiction. Despite his association with Ireland and his being a celebrated figure in Irish culture, the man who would one day be known as St. Patrick did not actually hail from the fabled Emerald Isle. Neither was the Irish himself. He was, in fact, from neighboring Britain, which at the time was under Roman rule. The exact date of his birth is unknown, but is approximated at around the late part of the 4th century. Britain had fallen to Roman forces, after numerous failed attempts to conquer it, in AD 43, when it officially became a Roman province. The Britain of this era was, for all intents and purposes, a rugged backwater inhabited by a population of hardy and robust Celtic peoples. By the 4th century, however, these inhabitants had given up their original polytheistic religion in favor of Christianity. It was against this historic backdrop that St. Patrick was born into a wealthy, although not necessarily religious, family. His father, Calpurnius, was the deacon of a church, a role that he likely took on due to tax incentives. Although many extant sources no longer exist, there is little evidence to support that the young Patrick was himself religious. That would come later, when his life story would take a turn for the dramatic and begin to read like an adventure novel. At the tender age of 16, he was kidnapped by a band of Irish raiders who were attacking his village and, in turn, pillaging his family's estate. Taken back to Ireland as a captive, he spent six years there as a prisoner, during which time he worked as a shepherd. Alone and afraid, having been ripped away from his family, he turned to religion for comfort and guidance, becoming a devout Christian in the process. It was at this time, legend has it, that he began thinking of converting the Irish people, who, at the time, still worshipped their own form of Celtic polytheism. But Patrick's time in Ireland came to an end after six years there, when, according to his writings, the voice of God came to him in a dream, informing him that his time in the Emerald Isle was up. So it was that he traveled nearly 200 miles, 322 kilometers on foot, from where he had been staying to the Irish coast, at which point he was able to obtain safe passage back to Britain. No sooner had he returned and been reunited with his family did he receive yet another vision, this one from an angel, who instructed him to go back to Ireland as a missionary. As he recounts in his writings, I saw a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. As I began the letter, I imagined in that moment that I heard the voice of those very people, and they cried out, as with one voice, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. 
Without wasting a minute, he threw himself into rigorous religious training and study in France, namely the town of Auxerre in the Burgundy region, which took place over the ensuing fifteen years. Upon completion, he was ordained as a priest and was given a mission. The mission would serve a dual purpose, to minister and assist the Christians already living in Ireland, as well as to help convert the Irish to Christianity. Having grown accustomed to their cultural practices, as well as being fluent in their language, he was certainly up to the task. So it was that he returned to the Emerald Isle and set to work. What set Patrick apart from other missionaries was his humane approach to conversion. Unlike others, who would poo-poo and toss aside the culture's former religious practices in favor of full-blown Christian immersion, he chose instead to incorporate traditional Irish Celtic rituals and practices into his lessons. For example, the Irish often built bonfires to honor and worship their gods. Having seen this for himself in his years as their prisoner, he included bonfires in the celebration of Easter to slowly transition them from their original pagan faith over to Christianity. Most notably, he superimposed the sun, a powerful and sacred Irish Celtic symbol, onto the sign of the cross, creating what has become known as the Celtic cross, in order for his followers to worship the new faith more comfortably and naturally. Such practices made him a beloved figure by all who came in contact with him, from the common people all the way up to the chieftains. Per his writings, he, quote, baptized thousands of people, unquote, and of them ordained a select few as priests to preside over this newly established Christian community. As he proudly proclaimed, never before did they know God except to serve idols, but now they have become the people of the Lord, and are called the children of God. The sons and daughters of the leaders of the Irish are seen to be monks and virgins of Christ. As a result of his time in Ireland, a great many symbols and legends have become synonymous with St. Patrick. The shamrock, for instance, that perennial symbol of all things Irish, was purportedly used by him to illustrate the parable of the Holy Trinity to his converts. Being a three-leafed plant native to the island nation, he demonstrated the idea that God is represented in three entities, all of whom amount to the same being, the Father, the Lord himself, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost or Spirit. The snake, too, while not one of his personal symbols, is a figure that's intrinsically linked with him. Since at least the 3rd century, it has been noted that snakes, while common in continental Europe, Africa, and Asia, are absent in the list of species native to the Emerald Isle. Anyone who has read, or at least has a basic understanding of the Bible, knows that the snake is a rather ominous symbol in Judeo-Christian doctrine, as it was he who tempted Eve to taste the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. As such, the absence of snakes in Ireland is attributed to none other than, you guessed it, St. Patrick who reportedly banished them all from that country for their inherently evil nature. It was this reputation that elevated him to the ranks of the preeminent figure of Irish culture and identity, one that clearly resonates to this day, not just here, but throughout the world. As previously stated, St. Patrick's Day is thought to coincide with the date of its namesake's death, which tradition dictates occurred on March 17, 461. Perhaps not surprisingly, he was greatly mourned by his converts and fellow missionaries, and shortly after his passing, became known as the patron saint of Ireland. While never officially canonized as he lived prior to the adoption of the Catholic Church's current laws, he is venerated as a saint not just in Ireland, but by the archdioceses of such far-flung places as Nigeria, Montserrat, New York, Boston, Melbourne, Puerto Rico, and Missouri. Sure, St. Patrick's Day has become a fun and festive holiday in which to celebrate all things Irish, but when you're out celebrating with your friends and family, whether you're in a pub or decked out in your finest green attire, spare a passing thought to the man who started it all.
That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you had as much fun listening to this one as I had researching and recording it. St. Patrick was truly a remarkable figure who honestly doesn't receive his due outside of Ireland. If you enjoyed it and have enjoyed my previous episodes as well, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will direct you to three monthly support plans that fit any budget. Tune in next week for yet another commemorative episode which celebrates the 200th anniversary of a big event that took place in the Eastern Mediterranean, and be sure to tune in every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time.